Now uh, into part seven. Wow. Wow, part seven. Chapter 12 now. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Now, how many of you have um, been just a... Uh, are you enjoying the series, basically? Are you, are you all enjoying the series so far? Like, uh, is this something that, wow, I've never read Deuteronomy this way before. It's not as boring as I thought. Or am I just fulfilling that, uh, that affirming that it is not that boring that, that I thought? And, and this is just a, basically, I'm just coming here just for the sake of because I like John. <laughs> you know, like, you know, is it, are you just doing this because you're just nice? I hope you are enjoying the series uh, because I know I am. I know Pastor Fritz is because uh, we are trying... This is in the, uh, we've never actually really delved into it this deep before and trying to pry out the principles of something that, that is so antiquated. Like sometimes it's like just been seen as antiquated. So I hope you're enjoying this series as much as we have been preparing it for you. And so if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteron Deuteronomy chapter 12. We will not, unfortunately, show you the Black Panther scene that this... Uh, seen uh, applied to this. I'm sorry. It's just a, but, you know, it'll be posted on YouTube. Don't worry. You know, like, uh, and you'll know why I chose that scene in the Black Panther in order to be uh, something for this uh, sermon. But because of the time, we're going to move into this. So the question today that I want to ask all of us this morning is, what is worship? What is worship? Now, like, uh, the questions could be, like, is it singing, praying, sermons, tithing, offering, serving, community service, or all of the above? What is it? What is the ultimate core that makes it worship worship? And so that's our question today, and that's what we're going to unpack this morning. Because it has something to do with place. It has something to do with place. And why do I say that? Well, because place in chapter 12 is repeated often. So much so, it's repeated six times literally, but many more times alluded to, like, you know, like in the area of, you know, it's not necessarily the word, but it's location. So it seems like it's very important for, like, for God that God chooses this place for worship. And so what does he mean by that? Is it a location? Is it like a continuum of, of a third dimension? What is it? And so that's what we're going to look into this morning. What is worship? And what, what does place have to do with this worship? All right, let's look into Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5. That's what we're going to kick off with. Here we go. But you are to seek the place of the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. The place the Lord your God will choose. Interesting, right? God, through Moses, wants to emphasize that a life of worship has something to do with place. Because place is the, the place he chooses. He dwells, which logically means that, okay, wherever God dwells, that's where he chooses, and that's where we can experience his presence. Uh, uh, you follow that logic? So wherever God chooses, he will dwell, and wherever he dwells, when we go there, we experience his presence. So the question is, but what is this place? So first, Moses kicks off with two bookends of this chapter. Now, what I mean by bookends? They're similar in theme. You know, like one is in the beginning, the other one's at the end. So it's a bookend. So if for those of you who have been with me for quite some time already, it's called a sandwich, right? So you got two bread slices, one on the one side and the other on this side. So what's the first bread? What's the top of the bread? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. These are the decrees and laws you must be careful 
to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess. As long as you live in the land, destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. Key word there is be careful. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, underline, be careful. Because in the other bookend, at the end of Deuteronomy, chapter 12, verses 29 to 32, what do we start off with? Be careful. You guys got it? See, you notice? So be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods. Oh, similar type of theme, right? Don't follow their gods. How do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. No, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. Okay, folks, you know, um, if you're doing it in the Deuteronomy in your small groups, and you wonder why God wanted the Israelites to wipe out certain nations, it's because I think the children would appreciate it. Right? Remember, the God says, spare the children. Like, I think the kids would appreciate it too, right? Like, seriously, you got parents that are willing to sacrifice their sons and daughters to their gods. So if you were reading the commentaries as, uh, during your cell groups, that chapter, Daniel Blockwitz go on to say, these <laughs> nations were really quite bad. See that you do all I command you. Do not add to it or take away from it. So similar theme, be careful, don't follow the other nations. So again, you got your two bread slices. So first things first, worship, as God says through Moses, is God-centered. Notice? No other gods. Nothing. No, none of the ways of the world that you, should you practice. So, what does that mean? Well, you shouldn't have any other gods. The only God you should worship is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the one who became flesh in Jesus. That is going to be God. God-centered. Yahweh. All right? The God who created the heaven and the earth the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not any other God. So, which means that in worship that's God-centered, you would not have anything else, especially in Richmond, superstition. You would be wiping out everything that deals with superstition. Feng, feng shui, yin yang, whatever those things is, little chopsticks that, and your bubble tea. No, get rid of that. Uh, like Buddhists, like uh, little shrines in your restaurants, get rid of that. Anything that deals with superstition, anything with good luck, anything that we say we could control the, uh, these, uh, like the, the other realm type of thing, get rid of. We cannot have any element of any of that sort of thing in our life when God is our center. None of that. So therefore, ancestral worship, none of that. I'm sorry, folks. Yeah, we could like navigate and exegete and say, oh, you know, we're going to go there and, you know, we're not really worshiping. No, actually, God says none of that. Yeah, it might excommunicate you from your family. Yeah, it might excommunicate you from the, like uh, certain things and opportunities and privileges. But God says, who's your God? Your folks or me? Right? So none of that. We are not, because God says, this is for your own good. You are not free if you are worshiping these other things, these uh, uh, superstitious stuff. You are really not free because these superstitious stuff, what do they usually tell you? If, then. If you do this, then you, that this will happen. Do you know how burdensome that would be? If, if, if your whole life is predicted by if and then then? 
God says, no, I am not an if-then clause. God says, I have a wonderful life for you, an eternal flourishing life that you could experience in my presence with none of that. You just say, you just have to worship God. God-centered, and he'll give you the freedom away from all that superstition. So yes, remember that. Every time when we feel that uh, like we become a little superstitious, every time when we think that, like we feel that money is, a, is our God, that's another one that's been our issue lately. Well, you have to ask yourself, who are you really truly worshiping then? Let's move on. Now we're back into the five to 10. But you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There, bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your free will offering, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There, in the presence of the Lord, your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to. Because the Lord your God has blessed you, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you, so that you will live in safety. Then on a similar tone, because we are a sandwich here, we're on the lettuce level. So now on the second part of the lettuce, the bottom lettuce, I like lettuce. Like, even though it's tasteless, for some reason, the sandwich is good. Anyway, besides the point. Verse 13, all right? Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Again, offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, and there observe everything I command you. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It it's really is the same thing. You must not eat in your own towns the tithe of your grain and new wine and olive oil or the firstborn of your herds and flocks, whatever you have vowed to give or your free will offerings or special gifts. Instead, you are to eat them in the presence of the Lord your God at the place the Lord your God will choose. You, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your own towns, you are to rejoice before the Lord your God in everything you put your hand to. Be careful not to neglect the Levites as long as you live in your land. Notice that that is similar in tone again, so that's why I call these the lettuce. These are the instructions for worship when they meet together, Great. So when we meet together, uh, Moses, God through Moses, encouraging his people that when they come together, the reason they come together is to share with others what God has blessed them, the work of their hands, you know, what had the, their hands have put onto. You notice that tone? Free will offering, free will offering, right? Vows that people choose to give to others. Families shall eat and rejoice together in everything you have put your hand to because the Lord has blessed you, share what you have worked for. In other words, sharing your salary. How many of us would do that here, right? Share your salary, share your food, share your belongings. So at church, when we come together, we are to share our blessings, aren't we? This is what worship is. Uh, God goes on through Moses and says, you know, yes, it's, it's God-centered, and, and how are you gonna be God-centered is when you share with others. And how do we usually do that now practically in the 21st century? How do we share our gratitude with one another? Well, part of it is tithing and offering. Tithes and offering. Because this is just in a similar tone as in Leviticus, where when we give and we share our tithes and offerings, it's actually given, these tithes and offerings are given to the poor amongst us. They're supposed to feed the poor, feed the hungry. To, so why is that? Why does God want us to share, to actually intentionally tithe and offer our money to actually intentionally budget and allocate our, our earnings away so that we could give it here. It's because it is our way to show our gratitude of what God has blessed us immensely with. And what has God blessed us with? His grace and mercy through his son, Jesus. God loves us. And so in order to show our gratitude of his love, we give our tithes and offerings. You see, I'll tell you a story. I remember when I first started working, my first job, uh, when I came out of university, my first job was uh, uh, being a manager at Staples. 
Okay, I like, I sometimes I shared some of you, you know, when I was in Nanaimo, I failed to budget sometimes. And then so that I end up eating Cheerios for seven days a week. You know, like, you know, because, you know, the rent came on, like, on the same time as the utilities, at the same time as everything else. And then suddenly I realized, oh, I forgot. I shouldn't have bought that TV. <laughs> it's like, and then suddenly you end up eating Cheerios in front of your TV for seven days a week. So, you know, it hurts, right? Especially when you start off a salary at $30,000. You know, and then uh, I go to church in Nanaimo. Uh, that's where I was. I was situated in Nanaimo. And then I said to myself, I got to remember to be faithful, right? Even with very little. Uh, so then uh, I go, okay. And then I was always brought up with tithing on my gross. Because that's what my parents said. That that's, they believe that that's your first fruits. Gross is your first fruits. So I tithe on my gross. And boy, it hurts. <laughs> okay? You go in there. Worship wasn't that great. <laughs> it's like Nanaimo, right? There's a lot of old people. Like way above your 70s. Right? And then, you know, you're like there. Everything smells like formaldehyde. And then you go, um, and then you, you just, and then you, you, tithing comes. And now I'm like, I really didn't get an experience here, right? Like, you know, that type of thing. But I know. <laughs> I said to myself, you know, uh, I got to do this, right? So then I tithe and it hurts and it just kills. But I realized something. As I've been sharing you this story, as I'm actually preparing this sermon, you know how he says, give you rest from all your enemies? You see that passage here? Give you rest from all your enemies. How on earth does tithing give rest from all your enemies? Well, actually, today's enemy for me is greed. You follow? My enemy is greed. My enemy is envy of others and what they get and I'm not getting. How does tithing and offering and being obedient to God give me rest from that? because I'm giving it away. I'm actually declaring that I am God's child and I trust in God's provision. It continually reminds me that, dude, Jonathan, the money's not yours. The money's God's. And you really, true worship has nothing to do with your experience in the place. True worship is not about the number of silver hairs in the, <laughs> in the room. True worship has nothing to do with the sermon that's going on that day. True worship is God-centered. And guess what, tithing and offering affirms your trust in God, affirms who's really in the center of this place. You follow? That's why tithing and offering is part of worship. It can never be taken out. It is our central way of declaring to the world that money is not our God. Follow? Okay, let's move on. And yes, like I continue to tell you, like thankfully, uh, Staples transferred me out of Nanaimo. I was going crazy. <laughs> like, my, my social life was really taking a pounding. Anyway, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 50 to 16. You know, this, this passage really strikes as odd, and I have to tell you a story later after this one. So we'll read this. Nevertheless, you may slaughter your animals in any of your towns and eat as much of, you, as, eat as much of the meat as you want, as if it were a gazelle or deer, according to the blessing the Lord your God gives you both the ceremonially unclean and the clean may eat it, but you must not eat the blood poured out on the ground like water. <laughs> okay, this was a tough one. However, you may not relate to it, but I could uh, relate to this passage. Uh, Angela might know why. It's because I am a son of a food inspector, all right? And not just any food inspector, he's a meat inspector who goes to slaughterhouses to inspect how the animals are slaughtered, right? So because my parents back then could not afford daycare or babysitting, whenever my dad pulls out an overtime shift, he picks me up from school, after school, 
and he, he heads back to work. I'm not going to tell you which slaughterhouse, or, because I don't know what years are lurking around here. But, like, uh, <laughs> but uh, he takes me uh, back to the slaughterhouses, whatever slaughterhouse he's, possessed, he's stationed in. And then I was sitting there doing my homework, whatever coloring book I have, and then uh, you know, my dad would go off, and then his coworkers come out, hey, that's Dave's son. Hey, you want to come out and see what we do? Now, you know, I was in grade school, you know, it's like uh, that time, the most scarring moment was in grade two. <laughs> it was like, and then so he, they would put a hard hat on me, you know, dress me up with a, a, a white jacket that was way too big for me. I think they thought it was cute, you know, and then they would like put me in boots and they would go, oh yeah, let's go, let's go. And then I hear these like loud noises, screeching noises of like crying, like almost like human shrieks, right? Like, and then boom, right? Like I always heard this boom, right? And then, so I'm going downstairs into this. Okay, chickens were lined up, and then slice their heads go right off. And then, <laughs> and then I would go uh, to the cows, and I see them getting gunned down. You know, again, so you know that, that type of thing. So I'm witnessing all this. Then of course I got come back, and then this happened often. So I and then a lot of my friends now have determined that that really affected my character. But anyway, <laughs> so anyway, so as a, and then, uh, so, um, you know, this, you know, many times I've witnessed this, but then uh, there was one day when I had to actually has, ask my dad, right? I go, dad, is this really right? Right? And he goes, son, and then, you know, uh, he goes, you know, we try our best to be ethical. We try to be as humanely as possible to, uh, because these animals give their lives for us. You know, they give our, their, their, uh, their lives for our survival. And therefore, we respect them in any way. A lot of the, uh, the animals we put to sleep. A lot of these, I don't know if they do that now. But then the, back then, they put them to sleep. Uh, a lot of that, like uh, for the, some animals, we, uh, in, the death is very quick. Sometimes we blindfold them. Uh, sometimes uh, we do it as humanely as uh, possible to make sure. Because, we, because he goes, in my view, I think he was giving a Christian moment, but he's never a theological type of guy. He goes, he, they gave their lives to us, and we should respect them. You know, they gave their lives for us to live. So it's kind of like that moment where I go, oh, right? So he's at work, and yet he also practiced these things. He actually enforces it as, a, as an inspector. He, like, not many inspectors enforce this type of uh, treatment to animals, but he himself enforced it because he strongly believes in his, in these, in his, he's really convicted. And that speaks loudly to me here because, because, if you think about it, like life, worship is actually life as well. It's not situated in this building. It's not situated in this room. And what my dad taught me was that he is bringing his, whatever he learned from church into his work, right? He's, in, he's enforcing what he has learned when he has saying, look, we have to respect life, right? And so he took that and then I put it here. And this is what I think is in this passage. Sure, this whole slaughter thing is it, but you notice that it's more about the care of the animal because they're respecting the animal for the animal gave its life for us, for our survival, right? Like if you read on in the commentaries and everything, the blood is a life of blood, so you don't treat it like nothing. You don't throw it like a garbage. That's why you don't let it spill on the floor, right? It's because the blood is this life, so don't it's like treat it with respect type of thing, make sure the animal is like a, 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 just slaughtered in the right way. I, I, the word slaughter seems uh, horrible, but the most humanely possible. So what we see here in this passage spoke loudly to me, and I could relate because I come from that world, right? I come from that world. I go, I get it, right? And I go, huh, maybe my dad read that passage. I didn't ask him yet, and I doubt that he did. 
<laughs> but you know, but you know, I get why my dad told me that uh, that reasoning behind it. It's because you know, a, li- a life was given, we respect it, but it's also because we see that if God is our center of our worship, our life is our worship too, and we have to take our principles from here of what we know here in this church to actually take it into play into our workspaces. And I'm sure some of you, some of you actually shared with the, how you did it in your workplaces. And praise God, I'm so thankful and blessed to share in your stories. And I'm so, ha- uh, so glad that the Holy Spirit's working in you to be a beacon in your workplaces. But pray that God continues to open our eyes to see the opportunities around us, amen? To, be, to live a life of worship as well. All right, let's move on. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 21 to 24. If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, you may slaughter animals from the herds and flocks the Lord has given you, as I have commanded you. And you and your own towns, you may eat as much of them as you want. Eat them as you would gazelle or deer. Both the ceremony unclean and the clean may eat. But be sure do not eat the blood, because the blood is the life. You notice that respect, right? And you must not eat the life with the meat. You must not eat the blood. Pour it out on the ground like water. See, so it's interesting. God, through Moses, says, if you're too far away from church, you notice? If you're too far away from church, right? However, do the same thing as what you have done at church. So in other words, for us, if you are not at church, which means the other six days, right? Do the same stuff as what you have done here at in your work. Whatever decisions that you would have done at work should resemble that you went through church. You, you were from church, too. Would you have done, the, like, it's almost like, what would Jesus do, basically? Would you have done the same thing at church if you, uh, if, uh, when you're doing something at work? Would you tell somebody off like that at, at church? And, like, you know, if you do that at work? That type of mindset. God is basically saying, look, whatever you're doing at church, do the same at work, wherever you are. Worship, basically, God's saying, is life. Worship is God-centered, but worship is not merely just here. It's life. It's life. So back to our question about place then. Back to the question. If worship is life, and worship is God-centered, and it's not necessarily a place, because the, here in church, there's, there's a reason for it here. It's our gathering is to encourage each other, to remind ourselves of the principles, so that we could take it back to uh, our daily life. So if worship is not necessary, this whole situation in a specific locale, then what's up with place then? And uh, I want to actually uh, uh, give you a, uh, a passage here in John, because John actually borrowed it from uh, Deuteronomy, and uh, Jesus actually took it uh, even further. So here we go. John chapter 4, verse 23 to 24. This is when Jesus was talking to uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, if you remember this. And the Samaritan woman said, well, you know, there will be a time when, uh, you know, there, there will be, like, it will be all revealed to us, but you Jews worship here, and we Samaritans believe we worship there. Locale, physical locale, right? So how did Jesus respond? Here we go. Jesus says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Interesting. And then I want to say in the same thought, Paul says in Ephesians 2.22, And in him you are too being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Huh. So who is... Oh, I just gave it away. Where is this place then? It's in us. 
God chooses to dwell in us, so his presence is now in us. So this place, this place where there's ethics, there's place where there's uh, hum humane treatment and respect for all living kind, this, uh, respect, this integrity, this commitment to uh, excellence, this uh, commitment to integrity, honesty, and fulfilling the commandments and the, the pursuit of righteousness, this whole God-centeredness is now in us. We are his dwelling. Each and every one of us is now his dwelling that he chooses. He chose us to dwell. And therefore, this whole chapter about worship, it should be going on in our hearts right now. It should be in our hearts right now. It should be all that, that is in our being. That's what's presented out of us. The ethic, the uh, humane, the, uh, the respect for humankind and living, the whole, what John Eat would say, the creating of the shalom, the peace for everyone, and to enable people to be uh, flourishing, or to bless, the, uh, bless our communities. That's actually worship. We are, you could say, worship beings. And hence, God chooses us as our dwelling. So what does that mean now, then? If God is actually dwelling in us and he has now chosen, what does it mean by when it's spirit and truth? Well, we just follow that. For those of you who wonder what Jesus meant by those who worship in spirit and truth, this is what he meant. He took it right out of Deuteronomy. Right? This is what it means to be worshiping in spirit and truth, to make sure that he's God-centered and the, and the respect of humanity and all the living things, and to actually be the promoter of shalom. Spirit and truth. Amen.